Let's become yoke fellows. Let's yoke up together. Let's do something. Let's decide we're going to do something. You guys are going to decide you're going to do a, a, a podcast here. Get together. Together y'all can do this. Y'all not good enough, one of you. You need two of you. Hey, everybody. Welcome to No Small Thing, the podcast dedicated to helping you live a less certain and less... More curious <laughs> More life. curious life. Less certain, more curious. Less certain, we'll leave more that curious. Here we are. We're not perfect. Welcome to episode number 59. Oh, is it 59? It is. We have an Enneagram <laughs> episode next week. We, we don't know, know which what to number. do. Okay. Um, well, probably four, but we got some work to do. We got some work to do. Okay, so welcome to episode 59. Mm-hmm. Um, we are titling this episode... Oh, don't know. Dr. John Perkins? Dr. John Perkins. Yeah. There should have been a drum roll. Yeah. There should have been a drum roll. Um, (laughs) Okay. Welcome to us this week. We're tired. We're doing an intro. Scott and I, to give a little backstory on this, we're going to give a tiny backstory on this episode and then probably share a bit about John Perkins. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you want to give a backstory? I'm really curious to see what you'd say. We're intro. We are introducing you guys to a person. To an interview we had with Dr. John Perkins. Yes, well said. So Should've. this is Scott and I introducing you and also sharing a little bit about what we've been up to and how we got to have the conversation with Dr. John Perkins. Yeah, we're going to try to keep it short, but it's big. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a lot of information that would help everyone appreciate the backstory, but we're probably not going to get all of the backstory. Nope, we'll do our best. Yeah. Should we first begin by sharing about who... You want to start with who he is and then and then how we got there? Maybe. Okay, maybe just so you guys know what you're getting yourselves into. And obviously, you can Google this, but I, I suppose if I was on a walk listening to a podcast, I don't want to Google it. I want the people to tell me. Yes. Okay, so Dr. John M. Perkins. Um, he is known as a uh, leader in what we call racial reconciliation. Uh, both Macy and I went to a school that we've mentioned on this podcast called Seattle Pacific University, and they have a center um, called the John Perkins Center uh, mm-hmm. for rec- for racial reconciliation. And so we have a connection with him, and he's um, he comes up here a lot and t- does a lot of teaching and training. We have um, the churches I've worked with over the years have a connection with him, and he's written probably like 20 books. So I'm just going to read his – I'm, I'm going to read his Wikipedia page, everybody. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's what we do here. I, I'm not I'm – <laughs> I didn't write my own personal intro this week. We just got back from this trip last night at 1 a.m., and we're still – completely exhausted and so uh i have time his wikipedia page is fairly short so here i'll just read it really quick uh john m perkins is an american christian minister civil rights activist bible teacher best-selling author philosopher and community developer he is the founder and president emeritus of the john and vera may perkins foundation with his wife vera may perkins also known as grandma perkins <laughs> he is co-founder of the christian community development association ccda despite being a third gary despite being a third-grade dropout. Isn't that... That's part of his fascinating and awesome story. Third-grade dropout. Hmm. Perkins has been recognized for his work with 16 honorary doctorate degrees from schools including Belhaven University, Virginia University, Lynchburg, Wheaton, Gordon, Taylor, Northern Seminary, Millsaps, and SPUs included in there, too. 
He has served on the board of directors of World Vision and Prison Fellowship. Perkins has advised and or served on the presidential tax task forces of five U.S. presidents. He is the author of 17 books, including the best-selling One Blood, Parting Words to the Christian Church on Race. Um, Here's his early life. Is this bad that I'm just reading it all? Is this, do you want to read some? Uh, I don't care. I think okay. you just I'm keep reading. I'm my, my boring monotone. <laughs> or whatever. Early life. John M. Perkins was born in 1930 in New Hebron, Mississippi. His mother died of pellagra when he was seven months old. Abandoned by his father, he was raised by his grandmother and extended family who worked as sharecroppers. In 1947, he, wo- he moved away from Mississippi at the urging of his family, who worried that he might be in danger of following the fatal shooting of his brother Clyde by a police officer. He, saw that he settled in Southern California. In 1951, Perkins married Vera Mae Buckley. That same year, he was drafted into the U.S. Armed Forces, and Perkins served in Okinawa during the Korean War. In 1957, Perkins' son Spencer invited him to church, and Perkins converted to Christianity. Yeah, which... Yeah. I Do you want to respond to this so far, like so anything you're hearing, just to make it a little bit more interesting instead of just a reading? Well, I don't know. I guess uh, if you're looking for... If you are already because i'm already inspired the way that's and it's evoking so many mm. memories of when mm. i was reading let justice roll down yeah which is that's i think biography yeah that book is um it does a it's a very intimate way of getting to know him and understand him in his story yeah. so yeah. i'm just i'm just Good. emotionally feeling that as you're you read it. this so here i'm gonna read his little thing about his career here and if you're listening this is short so don't worry don't don't worry this is gonna turn into <laughs> a long reading <laughs> Uh, in 1960, Perkins moved with his wife and children from California. Oh, also, um, we'll post we'll post something in our show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really great 20 minute YouTube, highly well made documentary about the life of John Perkins, and there's a lot of documentaries out there that are a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But if you want something that's nice and compact and and try to and it basically explains who he is, we'll yeah. post this great YouTube video. I forget what it's called, but. I wish I knew right now. This is not very professional. We'll put it on the show notes. But this, this, he has a very, very compelling story. So this will give you a little bit of that story. In 1960, Perkins moved with his wife and children from California to Mendenhall, Mississippi. That's a place we visited this week and worked at, which neighbors his childhood home of New Hebron. There in 1964, he established Voice of Calvary Bible Institute, motivated by a desire to help their neighbors as well as their own children. Vera May started running a daycare center from their home, that from 1966 to 1968 became part of the federally funded Head Start program. So that's something that was said to us several times during this trip was that Vera May brought Head Start out to Mendenhall. Which is a big deal. Yeah. Initially concerned with evangelism and Bible literacy, Perkins had a growing conviction that the gospel of Jesus addressed spiritual and physical needs. Hmm. In 1965, yeah, that's a big thing. Yeah. In 1965, Perkins supported voter registration efforts in Simpson County. And in 1967, he became involved in school desegregation when he enrolled his son Spencer in the previously all white Mendenhall school. That's oh, that was part of our journey, too. So much. Elizabeth Perkins gave us a tour. So you picture we haven't even explained this trip yet, everybody. But so you don't really know what we're talking about. But we essentially took 50 high schoolers down to meet John Perkins. And so we got a tour from his daughter, Elizabeth on the first day and we stopped by the school and she explained what it was like to be kids that were integrating into an all white school. And she had this, she's getting very choked up and she said it was like sacrificial lambs, Mm -hmm. which is a really sad image. Yeah. Um, But also very powerful and important. Yeah. Heard a lot. I heard uh, this week I got to hear three different people share stories of what it was like integrating. Yeah. So it says, in the fall of 1969, Perkins became the leader in an economic boycott. This is where it gets important to understand his story. Uh, 
Perkins became the leader in an economic boycott of white-owned stores in Mendenhall. On February 7, 1970, following the arrest of students who had taken part in a protest march in Mendenhall, Perkins was arrested and tortured mm. by white mm-hmm. police officers, officers in the Brandon Jail. Remarkably, Perkins emerged from this terrible experience with a commitment to his vision of a holistic ministry, one that saw the bondage, racism inflicted on whites, as well as the damage and deprivation of the black community. Hmm. He summarized his philosophy of Christian ministry in the three R's, relocation, redistribution, and reconciliation. He expounded on this philosophy in the 1976 book, A Quiet Revolution, The Christian Response to Human Need, A Strategy for Today. Hmm. By the mid-70s, Voice of Calvary, Jackson, and Mendenhall Ministries were operating thrift stores, health clinics, housing cooperatives, and classes in Bible and theology. Perkins was in an in-demand uh, Perkins was in, in demand as a speaker in evangelical churches, colleges, and conventions across the country. Um, there's a lot more, but I think that's enough to understand yeah. because essentially he used that he used that uh, moment in the Brandon jail where he was tortured and beaten um, as an opportunity to um, cultivate and teach uh, radical grace, radical grace, which is still challenging. You don't mm-hmm. hear it and go like, Oh yeah, that's easy. Totally. We should all just be doing that. I mean, if you think of, if you think of situations that require radical grace and forgiveness, um, his message and what he's advocating for is still hard, very yeah. hard. Yeah. Very powerful. Yeah. So, uh, do you think that was interesting? Was it? Was no, I think it, I think it was awful? interesting. So um, we got to go down there, as Scott said, and take a group of high schoolers. And John Perkins is 89 years old now. Yeah. So he is reaching the end of his life. Mm-hmm. And um, his wife is reaching the end of her life. And he, so he said that a lot. He, he talked about that a lot on this trip. And um, like all of these things that he did and looking at his legacy just being around his presence, mm-hmm. it's like his presence speaks to so much of what he's done, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he's an inspirational human. Yeah, and he's his the real fam- deal their whole in so family um, are such profound people mm-hmm. that so it's like they're no small thing. Like oh, it's, yeah. it feels really exciting that we even got to be around him in these precious moments towards the end of his life and yeah. just hear him and be in his like presence. Um, we've been thinking a lot about aura and his mm. aura was so strong and encouraging, but an aura of just such radical. Yeah. Grace. Oh, <sighs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's really hard to describe. It's really hard to describe. So I, I, this is the fifth trip I've taken down to Mississippi to visit John Perkins with a group of high schoolers. And I don't, if, if anybody out there, it doesn't come from like a Christian background, which we hope anybody can listen to this podcast. Yeah. We really make it an effort to not really actually focus that much purely on Christianity, but it inevitably comes in sometimes, which is fine as well. But we yeah. want we want everybody to be able to access what we're saying and not. Um, and we also talk about really silly things sometimes, <laughs> phones. But <laughs> this is a different type of episode. But but um, you know, there's this kind of classic evangelical Christian thing of like going on a mission trip, which we do. Uh, and part of what I do is I take about 100 kids down to Tijuana, Mexico to build houses, which mm-hmm. is another like kind of classic mission trip vibe. But this is a little different. Um, and we did go down and partner with some social justice organizations while we were down there, but we were primarily there to learn and hear from Dr. Perkins mm-hmm. and to learn about, 
you know, to, to help, to help educate our kids and ourselves on racism Mm -hmm. in America and Mm -hmm. systemic racism. We watched 13th, which is a documentary we'd recommend. Um, and, uh, and here, from John Perkins. So like, yeah, uh, yeah. he wakes up every morning for a five thirty Bible study. He's done this essentially his whole life. And so he Wild. does that. And then he would do that in the morning and then come teach us at about seven thirty, And we would just listen to him and he, he, uh, he, he kind of just off. talks he about whatever he wants off. to talk about. It was okay. In like a sense of no small thing. I felt such kindred spirits yeah. from like being he was not landing the plane. He was, <laughs> he was not landing the plane, but it was this idea of like, I mean, he talked about so many themes, mm-hmm. I think, that we try and aspire to mm-hmm. with No Small Thing of this idea of like having the conversation. Yeah. Um, yes. He talks so much about the power that that comes when you sit down with someone else and you look at each other and you're honest with each other and you share with each other mm-hmm. and share in life with each other mm-hmm. and the power of that. Um, and that when you do that, and you have those conversations, you open yourself to, up to that action follows things follow like yeah. that itself is its own creative way of responding to this wild system we live in. <sighs> yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, so there's so many things we can talk about, but I, I guess we're just going to highlight maybe some things we mm-hmm. have learned and like about him in general, but yeah. some, some things from the experience, but I was reminded by, this idea. And, and, and again, if anybody's listening and thinks I'm advocating for a specific way of behaving for certain marginalized people, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is he holds up a, a way of handling trauma and um, societal oppression. oppression. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it in a way that is compelling. But I'm not going to sit here and say, you need to do this. Like everybody has their own journey. Yeah, I wouldn't and say different to, responses. I wouldn't I wouldn't go around telling a black man who's been tortured by white police officers that the solution is just to forgive them. I'm not going to say that. I think it's compelling. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I would hope that they would. I, I don't know. It's just like I'm not going to go around. Um, forgiveness is so complicated and hard yeah. and challenging. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that he has done it and has lived it. In a way, okay, if anybody's going to think about Jesus and God and yeah. uh, in a way that makes that seem possible and real, yeah. you know, yeah. you can believe in almost a supernatural ability to forgive and, and, and to see the actual literal impact that that has on societies. Like he, he has worked with Ku Klux Klan members over the years yeah. and and uh, because of his love and forgiveness they have been converted not necessarily to Christianity but out of their racism essentially mm-hmm. yeah I it's think there's something it's so challenging but I think there's something oh, I have a lot of thoughts but <laughs> it is I actually remember in one of my classes from college we were talking and this concept, is still hard for me to think through, but I remember one of our teachers, Dr. Brenda Salter McNeil, mm-hmm. another epic person, mm-hmm. um, talking about, and it was it was like a really sad day, I think, when this kind of realization hit, but this idea of like, often for reconciliation to happen, it requires, unfortunately, the person who is oppressed to do the initial radical work towards love. Right. That that is 
it's a like it's this very sucky task. Yeah. Like there's such a sacrifice that comes with John and his family and people who are oppressed work of forgiving, you know? It like, doesn't seem fair. Yeah. Yeah. And it's but it like it sounds like a cheesy phrase, but it sort of melts hearts, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's it is the word that has to be used is radical. Radical. Like yeah. it's and it's powerful, and that this forgiveness isn't like a, a immobile forgiveness. Yeah. Like it is charging, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like a, a movement forward. Yeah, in, intentional, uh, proactive. Yeah. Forgiveness. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing he is with many of these people, including his torturers, but other folks that he's worked with over the years. He's not like, well, I'll forgive them if they come to me and apologize. He's going to he's going to them and being like, Mm. we need to work this out, Mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. And just naming the need for those conversations. Yeah. There's such resilience in him and his family and his message. Gosh. And and so then we have sort of a primarily white middle upper class group of kids coming down and sitting in this southern black man's home like we literally met in his home yeah when his wife was just waking up for breakfast and we're sitting in his living room on the floor and his the the way he does again his spirit his aura he's saying i bet you have a lot of complicated questions yeah and they're probably going to be sloppy and they're probably not going to be the right phrased questions but this is a safe place to ask, ask those questions. questions go ahead and ask them you know and that's honestly very refreshing in today's culture and I, I don't, I think it might be, I don't know. I mean, I, we don't have answers. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I, again, like I'm so grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But we do have a culture where even the question, even the desire to, to, to converse and interact and be trying to work it out, mm-hmm. the attempting of working it out is mm-hmm. seen as violent sometimes. Mm. And that's unfortunate, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I really do wish that we could, and I don't know exactly what precise scenarios I'm talking about, but I, I do wish that people that had disagreements could not have a casual conversation. That's not what I would want to advocate for, but commit to having a conversation that is imperfect. Yeah. Where imperfect things are going to be said. But we're gonna give but grace while to those but things. while having that conversation, recognizing the goodness and the essence in the other, yes, and like trying oh. to trust that. Yeah, that I mean, I, I have one quote. I mean, he has so many quotes, but I was oh. looking for. But that's this the is, thing. Wait, yeah, can I just ahead, say please. this? I yeah. think I think there's something so inspirational about who John is as a person in that, like, so he inspired me in so many ways this week. But I <laughs> think especially in terms of this 89 year old man allowing this group of teenagers to come to his home, it was so clear and obvious that when he was looking and talking with the kids that he was seeing them as like wisdom bearers, yes, like people he could learn from and people Mm -hmm. that he, like he saw the essence in them, the essential wondering. He did. And like he had such a curious And they knew he saw it, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I think that, to be seen in that way mm-hmm. is so empowering. Yes. It was like so, I felt the effects of it. And I was so grateful that all the kids that we brought could feel that, like have that moment. 
I just want to feel he's not perfect. He's a human. He'll admit it. Oh yeah. He'll admit it. He's also, you know, you say this phrase, like the real deal, like you're meeting a Christian leader or spiritual leader teacher who has lived, done his best to live what he preaches and, um, is a very grounded, wise person. I mean, if I just talk about his, and this is something that's always struck me. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like a very guarded person. Like mm-hmm. he's very free to like, let you hug him, come into his home. Just, he is out in the world and there he is living on the street. He doesn't have very much security. You can, you know yeah. where he is. You yeah. can come talk to him. You can knock on his door. He's out here living, you know? Yeah. And it's a challenge for probably both of us who mm-hmm. are probably relatively guarded people mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So, like, I'll just read one of these quotes. This is from one of his books called Dream With Me, Race, Love, and the Struggle We Must Win. That's what it's called, the book. Um, But, you know, these aren't necessarily like, oh, this huge, perfectly worded paragraph or sentence. But this is the thing about teachers and leaders. Somebody that isn't living this out could say this, and even though the words are nice, Mm -hmm. you'd be like, shrug, whatever. But when somebody like John Perkins says this and his life shows it, reflects it. each yeah. word becomes pretty heavy. So he says, I believe, in the inherent di- I believe in the inherent dignity of all human beings. The Bible states clearly that God created men and women in his own image from the very beginning. No matter how damaged people become, they still bear that image. No, ha- no matter how much people have been oppressed or how much they have oppressed others, hmm. the part of them made in God's image is worth rescuing and restoring. Hmm. Oh. Ooh, a challenge. It, uh, to oppressors. Yeah. Are, it, it, do, I, I think that's the challenge. As you're listening today, is that, I mean, we're getting kind of justice on the podcast today, but bring it on, you know, that's yeah. what we're here for. But um, It's no small thing. Yeah, this is this no small is thing. Oh, no sure. small yeah, thing. Sure. Um, do we believe that there is something in an oppressor that is worth rescuing and restoring? That's a challenging question. Hmm. Somebody mm. that somebody maybe somebody too that like there's there's one level of like an accidental oppressor somebody that doesn't know that their existence and privilege or whatever by its very nature innocence oppresses. is bliss yeah. and people just stay so that's one way but like what about blatant yeah pr- oppressors who know what they're doing yeah and and want to do it and choose to do it and defend it is there something inherent in them that is worth rescuing that's yeah. what uh, yeah. restoring and rescuing is there an essence is there a spirit is there I, yeah. I, you know that's a yeah. challenge I think many people uh, many people I know many people I see talking in the media would say no yeah it's know? an important challenge for me to mm-hmm. think through and I think it has like big ramifications yeah and how we see the other person yeah and how we see how we see the shape of what the world we live in is today. Mm-hmm. Gosh. I, I read recently that trigger warnings don't work. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know about trigger warnings. Actually, they, they said it actually makes it worse because people are expecting, they get themselves revved up for something that wasn't even to come. I know. I have mixed feelings about that. I don't yeah. know. Well, so I will say this, there, there really isn't a need for a trigger warning here, but the concept of forgiving hard things is, is a big topic. So this, this is a weightier concept. Yeah. But today. the conversation we have with him. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. Most, but even the things we're talking about, yeah. right now, all of a sudden you're smack dab in the middle of an intense conversation. <laughs> he does use the N word on this episode. 
I don't know if I'll bleep that out because it's his words. I don't words. think you should yeah. bleep it out. Yeah. Um, um, so get ready, f- prepare yourself for that. But yeah, um, I guess if you have kids, but I think it's important to n- remember and know what that word means for him. It looks yeah. like for him and and why he uses it or use yeah, it. Yeah, and the maybe the redemptive nature of him using that word. Yeah, yeah, he is really funny. Like there are a lot he of times where he's talking funny. to our kids and even to Macy and me. And, he would get worked up about something and say, damn it, or something. He'd be like, oh, I can't, I can't say that. Bear Bear asked me to stop swearing. <laughs> yeah, I can't. She, is she around? Did she hear that? It was really funny. He is really funny. Yeah. He made me laugh a lot on this trip. So I guess, just so you know, this interview, it was, it was chaotic because we were down there working, so even arranging it was pretty challenging. We, were, we just kind of squeezed it in the middle of a work day. We got yeah. to meet with him. So j- just to prepare you for the interview, what happened was we were going to meet with him in his house, so you'll hear us first start the interview, and then all of a sudden his wife Vera May came out and said, "We don't want you doing this here. This is this is my house, you know." So <laughs> he was. He, all of us were like, "Oh, let's get out of here. Let's give appropriately. Let's give Vera Mayer space." So we had about three minutes at the beginning that I think is worth keeping in there. So we will keep it in there because we are like starting the conversation. But essentially, we had to unplug all of our equipment and go over to another house and sit in the library. And then the Which conversation. Which was, I think, a better space. Yeah. And then the conversation starts up again. So you'll hear, you won't hear me do a second introduction. All of a sudden, you'll hear the conversation probably stop after like three minutes and then start up again. Oh, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And then that's just how it is. I'm not, I'm not going to do a second recording where I insert and go like, <laughs> hey. Here, here's the part, guys, that I was mentioning. Um, yeah. Do we want to say anything about I mean, finally, when we got to interview him, what, what you're hearing is essentially... A, a, a little bit of, of what we experienced all week. Like we heard him talk three times and each time was a little bit over an hour and a half. Yeah. So this is how the conversations kind of sounded. Mm-hmm. And um, there's, there's a meandering nature there. But, but I think what, what I would essentially for me personally, and it'd be of course interesting to hear what you would say to it, like advice to the listener as you head into this, I would say do focus on his aura or his spirit or what he ultimately is trying to convey. Um, I think that will be a good way to approach the, what he's trying to say. Yeah. I also think you could wonder about like what from listening to him, like what just think of one or two things that struck you, Mm -hmm. like a phrase he said or a word Mm -hmm. or an idea he Mm -hmm. said. Um, Cause he's a brilliant mind and has so many things to say and he's working with so many ideas should we tell the audience our Enneagram journey? Oh, his wow. Type really yeah. briefly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is a good story. <laughs> this is a good story. And then That's maybe we should get to the interview. Then we're going to get into it. So the Perkins family, you guys, Perkins family know the Enneagram and are mm-hmm. into the Enneagram, mm-hmm. which was so fun for us this week because then we got to talk to them about that um, yeah. and share about that. But his daughter, Elizabeth, uh, Scott had his own horror ordeal with Elizabeth and guessing her number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guessed. I guessed. I, she asked me to guess her number, and I guessed three times in a row. All time, every time was wrong. And then she had a moment. That I think is a great. I think it's appropriate to share. But she essentially said, "Look at my hair. Look at my clothes. I'm a four. I'm you know, a four. Like, and, and Elizabeth has this like bright blonde hair, which is really cool looking. Uh, so I didn't guess. Elizabeth, but then another daughter on campus that's working as a co-president. So Elizabeth is a co-president of the Perkins Foundation, and Priscilla is a nine who we met down there, and then their daughter Deborah that I really had big bonding vibes. Major with, five bonding, which is a whole other story, but <laughs> it was really sweet. And uh, Deborah's a five, yeah. So, uh, but uh, but basically Elizabeth wanted us to guess John Perkins' enneagram type, and Macy and I had a bet. 
We had a bet. I I th- immediately felt that I knew his number, mm-hmm. and then we I we knew we were gonna guess, and then I spent the next like couple hours really trying to observe and hear what major motives were speaking. Oh man, yeah, you're and so more focused than I was. I uh, I guess should I say what I guess? Yeah, well, we both guessed to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can say what you guessed. I guessed he was an Enneagram one, mm-hmm. and I and guessed there a was seven. And Scott guessed a seven. Should we say our reasons for why? Is we getting sure, too indulgent sure, in this sure. process? No, no, no. I think, I mean, yeah. It's our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so I guessed he was one. First of all, this is a man seeking justice. Oh, oh, you're going to tell, explain. As yeah. a person. But I, in terms of hearing personal stories and about um, hearing about his life, Elizabeth was telling a story that of him and the way he thought of his mom and his mm-hmm. mom dying when he was so young. And he... Basically, she was saying that what he took from and the message that he kept telling himself was that he needed to, like, be a good, like, make the world a better place for her. For like, people like For her. people like her. Yeah. Like, he would be a man of a man of integrity mm-hmm. and, like, do right by her mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think throughout Easy to his say life, confidently in retrospect, that <laughs> <now that> you know. <laughs> throughout his life. Integrity seems to be at the heart of of his journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you guess seven, and a one integrates to seven. So <laughs> this integrated one. I, I only was saying seven because I, he, he strikes me as a very assertive type. So I was just not, he did never not seem compliant. I feel like you know, we've given course, away that we know what number Oh, we do, is. but now <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just explaining. We did, yeah. But <laughs> He's a one. Yeah, I'll explain. Uh, yeah. Oh, my daughter's texting me, asking me to get almond milk at Ken's <laughs> grocery store. So I'll do that. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess seven because I thought he was in the assertive stance. And he also seemed I, – I was also told – now, I can't say this with confidence you know, in <laughs> retrospect because we know. Basically, we'll just say he's one. I think that's coming through loud and clear. But the way we we found out about that was pretty funny. Yeah. But – um. I was told that he he had a hard time seeing himself as a traditional pastor because he w- he didn't like the idea of stand, sitting in one place or one mm. community or yeah. staying still. Mm. So that to me, I thought he was very assertive, and then I also thought he he was very curious. Yeah, and it's obviously like ones can be curious, and and I have a hard time understanding compliant with one because one also is obviously a reformer. I know, but compliant is not in terms of if we're going to go to stances really quickly the compliant stance isn't necessarily compliant in that like doing whatever anyone says it could be compliant to this idea of what yeah, the way you're supposed been, to respond to it compliant to his faith right exactly yeah. and that that in itself has put him in the assertive mode because compliant is looking to something to then decide how you're going to respond so then responds assertively potentially very very well said potentially so so it was really funny because elizabeth had us guess and then she was really coy and dragged it out she for a long time. She dragged it out for Wouldn't so long and we were like, yeah. what, what is it, it going to be? It? So then she said, why don't you stand on either side of me? And she <laughs> held both me- Macy in my hands and then she's like, I'm going to raise the hand of the person who was right <laughs> and then raised <laughs> Macy's hand. And Macy was yeah. so excited I and pumped. I am so competitive. Like really <laughs> rubbing it in my face that I lost. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. <laughs> All the um, spirit of competition. Yeah, that is my potential three wing becoming so freaking crazy. I am working yeah. on it, but yeah. you know what? It was fun. 
It, it was fun. <laughs> so I think we'll just say, uh, I, hopefully this just feels like you're sitting in the room with us listening to Dr. Perkins just share. Like I yeah. said, you're, you're spending time with a great man, listening to some really sweet reflections and at times profound reflections, but you're also hearing him interact with us and affirm us. And <laughs> I mean, in terms of no small thing, just talking about like what the spirit of friendship and collaboration <sighs> and conversation can accomplish was really affirming to the two of us. Yeah, and I don't like think he realized <laughs> how sweet it was. Yeah. Um, so just picture that, just picture yourself. It's, it's a short, it's like 40 minutes, I think in total. So, uh, hopefully you just able to enjoy that and then lead it. If, if you don't, if you haven't known of him before, maybe it will lead you to some reading some of his books. Yeah. Um, seeing his work, being inspired, by looking him. him up on YouTube, listening to some speeches, reading some articles. Uh, I think it's worth checking out. Um, whether you're it's Christian no or not, thing. it's no small thing. So without further ado. Yeah. Here is our interview with uh, Dr. John Perkins. We are here with John Perkins in his house. We are so grateful to be talking to you. And um, you have been talking to our high school students this week, and they've so enjoyed hearing from you. And one thing you said this morning that I wrote down, you said very boldly, I have one more big thing I want to do. Um, and I wonder if you'd start by just talking about what you meant by that. I, I think... Well, the one big thing I want to do, I want to be ready to die. Mm. So which means I want to finish up basically what I feel God called me to do. And I think he called me and gives us an example. Uh, and this is Paul was thinking out of that when he wrote Second Timothy. He said, uh, that uh, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. I want to believe that I have tried to do the will of God and to obey that and to participate in that big mission of taking the gospel to the end of the world. And I think that is a part of the call of every believer uh, to know God and to help make him known and to do it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world, and that we can do that together. And so the last thing I wanted to do with the time slot that I would have left now is to be able to share that to this generation. And Paul, to Timothy, he says, that which you have heard of me among many witnesses, that commit unto faithful men and women who shall be able to teach others also. So it almost seemed like discipleship is the mission. And I think we have weakened discipleship by putting evangelism in front of discipleship. Mm -hmm. I think it's to know God and to make him known deeper, deeper. And that there is no end 
to that knowledge of uh, of, of 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 God. Yeah, that's Miss Perkins. Uh, Going to the office. Oh, well, we're going to our office. Won't be good enough. Let's go into the big office. Let's okay. Up to the office. Wherever you want. Yeah, let's go there. Okay. Okay. I'm going to ask another question. So what I was saying is you're really good at listening to our young people. We brought 48 high schoolers down here. And um, not just listening, but understanding it seems that they have an important perspective and, a, and an important voice to contribute to my theological stand, understanding, your theological understanding. And one of the things I love that you said is um, something along the lines of when we get together and talk, it, get, it gets God's attention. Um, and it seems that you live that out pretty well. And you, I was wondering if you'd say a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's in the book of Malachi. Okay. The uh, last book in the Bible. And... Um, the beauty of when we come to darkness in the Bible, it almost becomes an opportunity to shine the light. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that God appreciates that light. And if you go back in the Bible and listen to when God is doing something significant, it, it'll sound something like that. There was no prophecy in these days. The word of God was scarce. Samuel is fitting to be raised up. And the word of God is going to become famous. And not a word that Samuel say is going to fall to the ground. He's raising up a prophet. And like in when he called Abraham to go out uh, looking for God, looking for uh, a fine, uh, Looking for a found, uh, looking for a city that had foundation, whose builder and maker was God. What did he find? He found the Most High God. So there's a dark. In the, we're talking about, in the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Bible, and the thought was it's going to be another 400 years or more when God speaks in Malachi before He speaks. Again, and that voice you're going to hear is going to say in the book of Malachi, the next voice you hear will be John the Baptist shouting in the wilderness, saying, getting ready to know God. Now, in that same book, he says something like this. This is way back, sometime in the past. He says, when the people of God gets together to talk about God and to talk about the works of God. It become a joyful place. And if God sees it in the illustration, God like he picks up a pad himself and come lean over in our conversation so he can write down this as remembrance. A remembrance, remember, and God liked that. God likes him. That's what the Lord's Supper's about. I'm not going to have this supper again for a long time. Long time. 
I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to be there a long time. But I'm coming back again, and I want to establish the kingdom of God. And he tells us in the Lord's Supper then, uh, let me give you a symbol. Let the bread represent your food and eating, and let the wine represent all this. This is a representative for remembering. Not the whole, you remember the meal we had together. And, and that also made last words important. And I ought to be careful in these last words that I'm speaking because this is important. The last words of people become very important. Remember it, remember it. And, and, and not forget to gather yourselves together. And he said, much the more you see approaching. That's almost a, let's have these meals together. And let God come and listen in. And then we create this meeting where we can remember and get to know what it is we need to know. And that's the way this morning I felt. I felt that we created a, a sort of a remembrance and where the kids could begin to ask those profound questions. And not only that, giving a question back to the person makes the question more powerful because I always make that per that question back basically when I'm not gonna answer simple. Mm-hmm. I might not even know the answer to it. <laughs> you you read it. And so I start fumbling, but I give it back to you. Mm-hmm. So you ask the right question. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a sixty four thousand I don't know what it is. I'm really trying to think of an answer. Mm-hmm. And then somebody else might say it's like this. Mm. It, it happens all the time. And I, mm, I never thought about that. But I just sort of folded into my, like I thought about it. <laughs> I just need to take credit for this. One. <laughs> I wish I would have thought about it before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But what we are doing is that we are encouraging each other. Yeah. We're challenging each other. And that we are learning together. That's powerful. Yeah. That's power. We came here to learn together. Mm-hmm. We came here to sing together. That's why we sang. In the military, we sang cadence. You know what that is? It's to teach us how to work together. Teach us how to do things in order. If you've been in the military and it's going into combat, you learn how to not walk one person straight by another because one bullet will kill all of you. Mm. You work, you walk stagnant. That bullet will get you, it won't get me. Some space in between. Mm-hmm. You, 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 you know, in life. Yeah. yeah. What are your questions? Yeah, I guess, so you're writing a book on friendship, and I wonder if you could share a little bit about what you're writing about. Yeah. The great premise here is Abraham, when he found God, found the mighty God, he found faith, he found grace, and he found God was our friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. And he asked us to live in friendship. I didn't get into that this morning because in the book uh, I tell stories, but 1 John is primarily our teaching. 
And John is saying in 1 John, he done already introduced you in the gospel of John to the great God. The epistle of John is writing to the same people that he wrote in 1 John to. That's why he called it 2 John. You, you, you understand? And, and what he has said in that God, in the gospel, he says, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No, he said, uh, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him. Without him, not a thing made that was made. And then he said, I write this letter to connect you to this God who we have been an eyewitness with. Uh, we was with him. I put my head in his chest. I fell him. We ate together. I smelled the food. I also smelled his must. Uh, th this was God. This was God. I saw him in my hand. I touched him. This was incarnated God. I want you to have fellowship with him. And when we come together, we're having fellowship with him. And truly our fellowship is with the Trinity, with the Father, the Son. All of God is here with us. All the power of God is in this room with us. I write this unto you that we might have fellowship together. And truly have a fellowship and friendship it with the Father and the Son. And he said, you know, that's what happened when Jesus met the disciples. I tell you this morning, Philip or whoever it was, Andrew, said, we have found him. We have found him in whom the prophets did write. Jesus, the son of Joseph, supposedly, he is the God. Come and see. Come and see. And what did they may have? A friend. They became friends. I'm not going to call you master my students anymore. I'm going to call you friend. And friendship then becomes what the example is it? Shatter this racial garbage. A good Samaritan walking around the road and find a Jew in the ditch. Two other religious Jews came down there, and they found a reason to not have him. And this good Samaritan came along. That's an oxymoron for a Jew. That a, a, ain't no such thing as a good Samaritan. We would say that about you white folks. It ain't no good white folks. And white folks would say, there ain't no good niggas. Ain't no good cars. And being a Christian is still an oxymoron. It's somebody who don't care about that foolishness, who see the pain and enter with passion. That's how you enter other folks' pain. And, and you can be drawn into it. God has given you something to have compassion. You can see a house on fire and a mother walking up to that house that Fireman's got to get that mother and catch her. She'll go in there and get burned out with her child. And sometimes a stranger will go in there. Or they'll form a line and send one of them upstairs and say, throw the child out the window. We'll catch her. You know? And that's what God wants us as people to enter into the pain 
and the passion of the society. One of the verses I like so much, when they had rejected him after he done fed them and all of that, they rejected Jesus. That's when he said, uh, come unto me. Come unto me, all that are broken in a heavy lay. They came for the fishes and loaves. Now all you who are broken, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. Take, take my yoke. The yoke was the greatest invention. It was just like developing the iPhone. It was a great invention. The yoke took the bucket and the ox and turned it into strength. If you're going to do something strong in riding something, get on an ox, he's going to throw you off. Because the strength is in that bucket. The yoke makes them buck together. The yoke makes us pull together, and we can pull in and load because we bear equal amount when we buck. So he says, let's become yoke fellows. Let's yoke up together. Let's do something. Let's decide we're going to do something. You guys are going to decide you're going to do a, a, a podcast here. Get together. Together y'all can do this. Y'all cannot good enough, one of you. You need two of you. Did we come to, isn't that, isn't that? I think what we need to do, we make an illustration. And we need illustration to the sickum. The kids want to do it. We made illustration. They got it now, and I like it. We are better together. I like it. I like it. We're better together. Let's yoke up together. Let's be yoke fellas. Let's do this. Let's decide that we're going to do it and then decide. They used to say men in hall when we was coming along. I had this buddy, he's dead, uh, and that Herbert Jones. And uh, whenever we would be thinking about something, somebody would say, you watch those guys. They're going to have us all doing something pretty soon. We're going to so, so they knew we were going to turn our thought into some kind of creative action. And we're going to do something for the good of the community, the good of the community. And, you know, you know to a big degree, 50 of y'all out there ain't wasting your time. 50 of you out there pulling up grass ain't wasting no time. Black folk going to say, what are them white fools? What are them white and I said, they come to help me. I almost cursed. I got to be careful. <laughs> they come to help me. They're helping themselves, too. Mm-hmm. We're teaching them. We're te- they wouldn't learn this much playing together. Playing is okay. Mm-hmm. Let them play. Let them play. Let them stop and go take a break and play. <laughs> But 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 let's tell them something. Yeah. Let's tell them something. They're open. I, I I look at them. I look at them black guys. Oh, it's something. Y'all got to follow up with that. Yeah. Y'all got to follow up with that. Challenge that. Yeah. Uh, and, and and others too, because some of those little white folks are just fascinated that there is a black old guy down there that says some foolish stuff and. Uh, Anybody, 
The sound like it might be the truth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, you know, I, I, I really wanna I really wanna say back to your original question, what should we be doing at the end? Loving each other. Those Jesus said it with an urgency, didn't he? I mean, that ain't no jive. The world will know we are Christian because the world love we have for one another. And he gonna say, uh, you don't love no. What is it? Let me give you a de definition of it. Let me give you a parallel, a parable so you can know it. You love more than words and in tongue. Just talking about it. You love in deeds and in truth. And then he said, how does that look like? Well, if you see somebody that's destitute of food, fool, you got to give him something that is good for the body, some food, something to eat. We used to say something to teat. Eat, teat, something, something, teat. That's ebonic for food, something, teat, something to eat. And so we cut it short. Don't go to all that trouble. We talking about eating food. <laughs> Let's cut it short. <laughs> Don't take too long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think. Do you remember the 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 hymn that you read from this morning? What a friend we have in you. Yeah. Yeah. If I pull it up for you on my phone, could you read it? Yeah. And then I'll, while I'm doing that, maybe you want to say one last thing to close because yeah. you're leaving. So I almost know it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But pull it up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to have to leave, but I just. Cool. When you leave, we'll, we'll be done. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't really have much more to say besides thank you so much for your time. Yeah. And well, thank you for letting us come into your home and welcoming us. This is what I, I can do that. Well, uh, I got to watch that. I'm glad I got two home. <laughs> <laughs> I got to watch them. I award them at the balls here. <laughs> uh, all right, yeah. Uh, let, me, let me pull it up here. Yeah, yeah. What a friend we have in Jesus. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Because we, we oftentimes will end the podcast with a blessing or a poem or something. Like a that. benediction yeah, of sorts. Yeah, yeah. Now unto him that is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his presence with exceeding joy, the only wise God, our Savior, be majesty, dominion with your power forever and forever. It's nothing else to say but amen. Hmm. Amen. 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 amen.